this week I faced a decision. Having managed to squirrel away some savings, I could choose the rock-solid safety of state savings where interest rates are so low the capital is exposed to inflation erosion. Or take a punt with the fund managers who would invest my few euros that might earn more money but for a price, no guarantees and a yield subject to 41% income tax. I wondered why the choices seemed so poor when public policy constantly emphasises the urgency of saving for one's future. So I thought we'd have a show to talk about it. In studio, Sinead Ryan is a personal finance columnist. Paul Somerville is chief executive of Somerville Advisory Markets. And Moore McDowell is an economist. Paul Somerville, what are the conflicting objectives of Western governments? And are they just as guilty as the rest of us of prioritising the short term over the long term? Well, the simple answer is uh, very much yes. But I suppose for the listeners to uh, understand why interest rates are so low around the world is you have to go back to the debt crisis and you have to understand what is going on to try to resolve that debt crisis. It's very simple, you know, basically to fix up this whole subject matter, I think is interesting because I think what you're talking about now is probably the reason why Trump got elected. It's probably why Brexit happened. It's probably why we've got a homeless crisis and a housing crisis. And it's all to do with the price of money and the financial markets and how bastardised they have been by central banks and politicians in order to get out of the debt crisis. So what have they done? So they needed to bail out banks. They needed to keep the system going. So they lowered interest rates. So central banks have lowered interest rates about over 600 times. So 606 times they've lowered interest rates around the world to get the price of money cheap to try and get the economies going. Now, economies, have n- that has not worked. So what they've had to do after that is do extraordinary stuff, which is, you know, we've heard of quantitative easing. Nobody knows, you know, what it is, but we've heard of quantitative easing where they're printing money. So basically what they've had to do is lower interest rates to zero or or near zero, so savers get penalised, people with cash get penalised, and they're trying to get people to, the animal spirits is what it's called, so what they're trying to do is to get people to more, more aggressively invest in stock markets, or to spend their money, and to get economies going. That's the simple answer. So, more McDool, but then how does that conflict with the other objective, which is this ageing population and absolute panic about how we're all going to live without eating dog food? Well, that would be a problem anyway, if it weren't for what Paul has described. I mean, I absolutely agree with him. You have to go back to 07, 08, 09 to understand what's going on. Many, many years ago, when I was a, a young student in UCD and subsequently in England, we were taught that it's very easy to pull on a string. It's not very easy to push with a string. And the theory behind quantitative easing is that if you flood the banks with money, leaving aside their, their, their solvency for one, which is a separate issue, but if you flood the banks with money, interest rates will fall, correct, and therefore people will borrow and the economy will boom and so on. It doesn't work that way because Paul mentioned the animal spirits of entrepreneurs. This is the key to it. People have to want to borrow in order to invest. So if they're deeply concerned about uncertainty, if there are problems to do with the global economy, blah, 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 then putting money into banks doesn't, won't work in terms of securing a, a, a demand growth in the economy. So turning to the question of <clears throat> the old age and retirement, there are two issues here. First of all, yes, we have an ageing population. Partly because we have, despite what you hear in the moans and groans about people on trolleys, the point is they are on trolleys, they're getting treated. Not comfortable, but they're getting treated. Part of the problem is that we are actually enabling people to live longer. 
but we're also encouraging, we're permitting them to stop working at the age of 65, but that's changing slowly, but very slowly. And therefore, the percentage of people who are old, like me, and drawing a pension is going to increase. And that's going to happen one way or the other. The pensions, in the end, have to be funded. You're lucky if you're a public servant, they're not funded. Mm -hmm. But in effect, that's simply a claim on taxpayers in the future. So the pensions have to be funded by somebody. And that's why we have all kinds of devices, we think, to encourage people to fund their own pensions. Maybe we can come back to that in a minute or two. The immediate problem, which Paul's identified in the question you asked him, is that when you come to looking at the funds that provide money for pensions, those funds arise because of the fact that you, Sarah, you're young, you put money away, you worry about what you're going to do about it. Not much point in my worrying about it. I'm not going to be around for that long. So the money has to be invested. When it comes to actually, I hit 65, the pension kicks in. The pension fund in, is, in effect, not going to take that money and put it into high-risk assets. It's going to invest it in low-risk assets, government bonds, gilts. And the yield on those gilts, for the reasons Paul explained to you, the yield on those has collapsed. I remember about 10 years ago, I had a small pension fund with, I think it was Standard Life at the time. I mean, tiny, I had maybe five or 6,000 euros in it. And they were very anxious for me to cash it in because in the small print it said, and we will give you 6.8 or 7% per annum at 65 for the rest of your natural. Oh. Now, Paul, I think I'm right in saying you'd be lucky to get 5%. percent mm mm-hmm. So why are you lucky? Because they can't invest. They're actually, most of the money you get is your pension is you're getting your own money back. But the interest they're getting on the part of money that you've put in is somewhere around 1%. Well, this is why it's interesting because it's basically a fairy tale that's been told to the general population around the world that central banks are doing all this for your benefit. So they're doing it because they want to grow the economies. But that isn't actually true. And, you know, if I was of a left-wing persuasion, I'd be totally and utterly up in arms at the moment because everything they argue about, about the bankers ripping off society is exactly what's happening. So when you, what happened in Japan? In the, I lived in Japan all through the 90s. And what happened there was the, the economy went bust. So in order, but they didn't want to tell anybody who went bust. So in order to do that <laughs> and lie about it for many years, what they did is they flood the, the system with cash. And what they do, they do is the banks then take that cash and invest in government bonds. Now, I remember being on programs all through the crisis, you know, in this station and many others. And everybody argued that if, if uh, banks are given money, they'll start lending it out to the general population. That's absolutely not the case of what happens in financial crisis. What they do is they keep the money in the banking system. That's why there's so many bankers getting extremely rich at the moment of uh, trading bonds. And what they do is go in and buy government bonds all around the world. So let's take Ireland's government bonds for an example. Somewhere along the line, our government tells us that they've done a wonderful job because the bond yields have gone from 14% to 1%. It must be something to do with their action. The thing is, it has nothing to do with the performance of Ireland, the Irish economy or the Irish politicians. It has all to do with the ECB printing money. And so banks take that money and they invest in government bonds and they get money for free. So all this money is tied up in the banking system. And that's why it's such a fairy, fairy tale and Ponzi scheme of some description, because the bankers are making all the money. And basically what's going to happen in the future, you know, is that 
politicians or populist politicians are going to get blamed. So if we get on to talking about Donald Trump or whatever, like I wouldn't be surprised to see the American economy have huge problems going forward and he's going to get all the blame even though it's going to be nothing to do with him. So Sinead Ryan, it seems to me then um, the governments are around the world are playing this the short term off against the long term. They want us to save for our old age. But they want us to spend money now to help the economy. And we're seeing that in, say, the prize bond fund being cut. Well, it was ever thus, Sarah. And governments do tend to think in very short terms. And also people rarely do what economists think they are going to do. So just to to kind of expand on, on Moore's point, which was very well made, um, th- this idea that... Uh, if you reduce interest rates to close to zero, people are suddenly going to rush to the bank and buy a brand new car. Now, during the period of austerity in Ireland, uh, what actually happened was people saved more. So there is currently in in ordinary household deposits, now not big pension funds or corporations, ordinary prize bonds, post office accounts, deposit accounts, a hundred billion euro. That went up during the recession. Now, these are all the people who say, I've absolutely no money, I haven't a penny to my name, I can't afford to put food on the table. And I'm not being disparaging there yeah. because people have a quirky, you know, the behaviour of people is, is not always the way the economy would want it to be. People are inherently, as we know from Keynes, selfish, they, do, they act in their own interests and they do what suits them at the time. So it's perfectly reasonable for ordinary people to have, say, a credit card with a debt of 4,000 quid on it and savings of 5,000 euro, but not match the two off. Okay, So what governments do is, and and the policy tends to be the carrot or the stick approach. Now, for years, Michael Noonan took the stick approach because he wanted that savings out of that, that 100 billions. We could have bailed ourselves out twice over. And if we lived in Cyprus, we would have because it would have been swiped. Um, so you yeah, would have had a bail-in. Yeah, that's where they took the deposits. Correct, correct. Yeah. it's bail-in. Yeah. And there was, a, there was a kind of a scary few weeks in this country where it looked like a distinct possibility that that would happen. So you have a government looking at all this money in billions and billions and billions that ordinary people have in savings, but not spending it. Uh, so what they did was they hiked up dirt tax, which is the punishment for savers. Okay. <laughs> now, that didn't work. They saved even more. And now they were into hoarding. So this is what people do when they're scared. Look, it's what I did. Yes, it's what so I did. People scared yeah. Because they think however bad it is this year, it could be worse next year. <laughs> I could also lose my job. So I'm hanging on to this money for dear life. What I'm not doing is buying new stuff. And what I'm not doing is paying down debt with it. I'm, I'm hoarding both. I'm hoarding the savings and keeping the debt. And there's your there's your dilemma for, for a government. So... It, what, what then it did, it tried a kind of a stick, a carrot approach, which did work to some extent, right? And a great decision, although a very expensive decision, was made in a couple of budgets ago to reduce the VAT rate on things people like to spend their money on, which is, hospi- which is hotels and restaurants and for some obscure reason, hairdressing. So the hairdressers and, ho- and, and hotels, the VAT hair, rate... The hair is the one thing I insist on. No well, actually, I... <laughs> I have I have a theory on the on the whole hairdressing thing, right? <laughs> economists important to oh, I agree. Economists I'm like their, their economic indices. So, for instance, you have the Big Mac index, which is the price of the Big Mac in every country in the world. I have my own, and I call it the blow dry index. I have to be careful now about that when I use it. And the blow dry index is is one that I kind of colloquially use with hairdressers, and and this is what they tell me. So, women, the very last thing women will do without is their is their hair. Okay, but Sarah, I don't have to tell you how expensive it is to get the full 
colour, cut, highlights, everything, right? La, 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 money. I don't want to. I'm not shocked. (laughs) I'm well aware of it. It would be a lot of money. So what what women will do is they'll very often justify getting that done maybe a couple of times a year because it's it's the full till thing. Uh, But they'll do the rest of the stuff at home. So during during a recession when they've no money, they buy colour in a bottle or they do their own hair. I got the spray stuff for the roots. The spray stuff for the roots. See, that puts you off getting the colour done. a couple of weeks. So... The blow dry index is when women start going back. What? Start going back. <laughs> Look at her hair, isn't it lovely? Start going back voluntarily just to get a blow dry because it's Friday. Okay? That kind of thing. That's 20 quid, 25 quid. So when people start spending the money, who knew Michael Noonan knew all about this, by the way? But this is what he did. Now, so the VAT rate on nice stuff was reduced to 9%. Right from twenty three percent. That's a labour big deal. Intensive stuff. Labour intensive stuff. It got That's jobs, the increased the jobs, which it did. It worked phenomenally well because it allowed lots of cheap labour, more of that because they're all paid minimum wage jobs. Right. <laughs> However, outrageously, uh, in my view, uh, and not only my view, he to fund it for the first couple of years because this is a really expensive measure. VAT takes in so much money. He swiped it from private pension funds. So the whole thing comes full mm. circle. So he he stole, and and I won't use a lesser (laughs) word than that, from my pension fund, because I'm self-employed, to fund this measure, which was for all all people. Uh, So there's there's the carrot approach of getting money out of savings. Did it work? Do you know what? It worked a little bit. There's still 100 billion stuck there in savings. But now because of consumer sentiment, because people just feel better about the economy, they feel a little better about the security of their job. You can see consumables beginning to rise, people beginning to change their white goods, buy a new car, go on another holiday, that kind of thing. That more than interest rates is this going is to probably, move yeah, it's, it's, it, No, it's, it's very interesting because... You know, Ireland could done, done done so many better things. For an example, yeah, say mortgage rates is a very good example where the ECB and the central banks that I'm talking about tried to lower interest rates so mortgage rates around the world would be lowered. They have been lowered a- across Europe, but still in Ireland, I mean, some of the variable rates of the main banks in Ireland are triple the, the ECB rates. Triple. Or tri- triple the European rates. Now... What does that tell you? That tells you that the money was passed down to the banks and it stopped in the banks here. So banks make more <coughs> profits, but the people don't get the benefit. And that's happening all over the world. Basically, what is happening is, you know, insurance costs, uh, health costs are all going up. Lots and lots of things are going up, but real wages are not going up. So especially, say, in the American economy, and again, going back to why Trump was elected, many parts of the US economy are not performing very well but rich people are getting much much richer and that's one of the problems so yes maybe maybe people are spending a little bit more in Ireland and it's and it's great to see but there's so much more that could have been done and more yeah okay more make your point and then I have another um, question I think for <coughs> just ask a simple question and yeah. I, I know the answer to it, but Paul will agree with me who owns most of the banks in Ireland is it the state correct now the state virtually entirely owns AIB and the state owns a huge whack of Bank of Ireland. The state wants those banks to be profitable. It's not, I mean, I agree with with what Paul is saying about the banks taking money, saying thank you very much and simply sticking it back into the ECB. Say, why should we take a risk? We can get more money by borrowing it at zero and lending it back to the bank at one. That's perfect. Let's go out to dinner. And they don't have to worry about it. But there's another angle to this, and just to develop what Paul is saying, it, it's not simply that uh, the, the margin is the margin here is huge, but 
But one of the reasons is, and it goes back to the question, again, Paul is right, it goes back to the crisis and the fact that the banks weren't solvent. So how do you make them solvent? By accruing profits. How do you get them to accrue profits? By borrowing cheap and lending dear. There's nothing to stop AIB saying we can borrow at 1% or less and we can therefore afford to give mortgages at 2% variable. 2% variable, I mean, this has nothing to do with trackers on mm. 2% variable and take 1%, but it's risky. But it's much nicer from the shareholder's point of view if they borrow at 1% and lend at 4 or 5 And remember who the shareholder is in the end. It's the taxpayers. Yeah. It's the taxpayers. And that's why I, I wanted to pick up something Paul said. It's, it's, a, it, it's a mantra as far as I'm concerned. They didn't bail out the banks. They bailed out the people who were owed money by the banks. Oh, the bondholders. Yes, but also the depositors. Now, if you think life is unfair with your pension fund and the rest of it, and if you think the government is behaving in a short-term fashion, which I agree it is, so on and so forth, just consider what the row would have been two, three, four, five years ago when Sean and Mary woke up to find that what they had in the bank had just been chopped by 20%. Mm. They'd been bailed in. So it was the depositors in the banks, unlike the unfortunate Cypriot depositors, mm. who were being protected as well as the bondholders. So in a sense, <clears throat> what you're getting here... And it's absolutely, to. you know, that's like it, going over old ground again, but, but it's, which I we don't, don't want to do. Paul, but the problem there's is there's people absolutely don't no understand reason that. For, for variable interest rates to be lower in Ireland and triple the uh, European oh, average. There's, there's no reason for it. No, 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 they want to make a profit. There's a very good reason Sinead. for it. Not only do they want to make a profit, AIB is being flogged this That's year. Right. It must make, make a, a profit. profit. It cannot be attractive to investors no. unless it is seen. Now, AIB have, have, uh, is one of the banks, unlike Bank of Ireland, which has made a sop in the sense that it was they were all pulled into an Oireachtas hearing by Michael Noon wrapped in their knuckles told to reduce the variable rates. Uh, so AIB dropped them a little bit here and a little bit here and a little bit here to, to the the whole point is they're in this rock and a hard place situation. The government is trying to f- sell it off to investors who it's going to go out and do a big brouhaha and go out and, and have a big kind of song and dance routine with all these foreign investors that they hope will buy this bank. Among the others, and there's four and a half banks owned by the country at the moment, uh, it can't do that by saying, by the way, we've instructed them by legislation or otherwise, as seems to be the, the kind of theory, uh, to re- reduce their interest rates and cap them so that the maximum yes. profit is one. I mean, that's ridiculous. I know, but Sinead, what they are doing is is at the behest of those banks reducing things like the prize bond fund yeah, because well, th- the that's banks for a different reason because the government is fighting with itself there yeah so the government owns the state savings which effectively when you buy a prize bond or you put money in the post office you're lending your government money yeah. okay now the government doesn't really need your money as much as it used to thanks very much but it needs it certainly needs you to begin to do that there's 16 billion in prize bonds by the way so that's fine now once it so it offers you an attractive rate. What it has chosen to do is make that rate not so. It, it's not. Com, it's competing with the banks, but it's also tax free, which well, is the crucially prize, the prize fund of prize bonds in 2012 was 46 million. And yeah. even though there's more money going into prize bonds now, the prize fund is only 30. Million. Yeah, but yeah. but that's because but it, it doesn't need it as much. So yeah. that's a supply and demand issue. If it really really needed your money now because it couldn't buy it on the international markets, it would absolutely offer its own citizens a better rate. The other reason it's so low, the other reason the rates have dropped, is because the banking federation has successfully and consistently lobbied to have it 
uh, have them dropped. And it has presented Michael Noonan with a very uh, kind of clear argument, which is, look, Minister, you want to sell us off, you want us to be profitable. But here what you're doing, you're getting your own citizens, you're encouraging to give money to you directly. Why would you do that when you can give it to us and we make all profits? And but Paul, this, this is this the is, problem. This is exactly what you're talking about, is we have to make choices. And what you're saying is that it's OK to screw some people in order for the banks to be sold and profitable. So, so oh. basically, this is happening all around the world, which is rich people are getting richer. You know, this is exactly what is happening. Now, you take, for an example, a similar uh, crisis would be the housing crisis. So many people in Ireland believe because house prices are going back up and rents are booming, people believe this is great. You know, property porn is back. All the newspapers are selling advertisements or whatever. We could have handled that crisis extremely differently, but we chose not to. So we cho- chose to screw certain people in order to, for other people to profit. You know, for an example, most people in Ireland to listen to this show believe the, uh, the rental, uh, why rents are going up so much and the housing prices are going up so much is to do with supply and demand. They've been told this many times it's something to do with supply and demand. It's absolute rubbish. It's, you know, when you take all the supply from the housing market, when you take all the housing supply and and when you sell it off to vulture funds, this is exactly what happens. We make choices. So for an example, many people in Ireland believe rent's going up, it helps the banks. It's fine. So we, we, we have decided to have a housing crisis. You know, this is a government no, that's policy. That's true in the social well, housing well, sphere. More, that's not true in the no, private well, housing no, sphere. Well, no, I have been told that you can't get an apartment, say, around South County Dublin because all the apartment blocks have been bought up by vulture funds because they're being driven into the property market because they can't get yields on the bond markets because the, you know, the, the, the yields are so low. Hang on a second. I, <clears throat> if I were a vulture fund... Yes. ..and I wanted to buy an apartment block... I don't buy it in order to say, goody, I now own an apartment block. They will want to rent it out or sell it on. The fact that the the apartment block has shifted from being in NAMA to being in a vulture fund doesn't change the number of apartments. But it does it not change the number of apartments available for no, sale? No, no. Not available not. for no. sale to ordinary people. They flip them. They, they flip those them. in four years. Most vulture that's funds do not rubbish. want to be here. For more, Sorry, no more for, than NAMA First of all, the rents, all years. the rents flow out of the Irish economy. Well, that's, right? a so that's, that's a separate issue. That's a separate issue. We're talking about pensions here. people don't care where the money goes. No, yes, we do. We're talking about pensions and it's the Canadian pensioners that benefit. Okay, so we can do micro or we can do macro and yes, they feed into each other. Okay, so let's talk about the actual, the ordinary rental situation. If you are talking about flogging off stock or or not making it available, the biggest culprit are not the vulture funds, they're not even the banks. The biggest culprit are local authorities who have sitting tenants in houses and a policy, particularly in Cork and Dublin, of selling off quite literally the family silver. Mm. In this case, local authority states that have been estates for 30, 40, 50 years, the last time we built stock in volume... And they are selling it to sitting tenants with aided mortgages, subsidised mortgages and low cost. They call it low cost affordable housing. It ticks a whole load of boxes in the Department of Finance. Everybody looks good. Simon Covey looks good. It's incredibly popular for these people who've been living in the houses. They get hooked onto a mortgage that A, they can't afford in the first place or they wouldn't be in social housing. B, they should never be allowed to have a mortgage for for exactly the same reason. It's unfair to have them uh, uh, with this yoke around their neck uh, and the stock itself disappears. It's not being replaced by new stock. It's being replaced by private rental 
uh, to landlords. And that, to me, is disgraceful. So if you want to talk about supply and demand, let's talk about it there. In the private market, private market does what private market does. A vulture comes in here, they don't give a toss about our social housing crisis or our homelessness or our rental crisis. Well, they're this benefiting is the point. This is the point. It wasn't a real market. Now, let's Sorry. call in. This yeah. is the point. It wasn't a real market. We had choices to make. For an example, when those apartments and houses were being sold off, we could have sold them to the Irish people, for an example. We could have given them yeah. discounts and let them buy these houses themselves. We ch- Sorry, we chose not to do that. We chose to sell them secretly well, so in big packages. Packages to, to foreign funds. Now, that was a choice that Irish people make. So we have chosen this way of going about it. Now, there's, don't get me wrong, there is some positive mm. elements to the way they have done it. I'm not complaining of, that everything they've done is wrong. But what we have to understand in Ireland is we have created this problem ourselves. So when you see homeless people in, on the streets of Dublin and a housing crisis, it is not to do with supply and demand. It's to do with how we've just sold off the, the housing stock in Ireland over the last five to six years. It is the way we've, the method we've but chosen. you can go onto any Allsop website, go onto the NAMA website, you can buy whatever you like. No, no, you can't, Sinead. That, well, actually, I shouldn't <laughs> say no, you can't. But what I have been told is that uh, there are, say, ordinary people who have jobs, who are not looking for social housing, mm. who just want to buy mm. somewhere to live. Mm. And they, uh, the stock is not available for sale to them because it has been bought up in bulk by vulture funds who are only well, actually, interested, at least in the medium term, well, of renting it out. And that has... Good. A, a, that yeah. has a... N- Good. Except... Because we have a rental crisis. Except if you're in that generation of people who are forced to rent because they cannot buy. And then when they come to 65, not only do they not own their own house because they haven't saved in a way by paying a mortgage, they're actually going to need to pay rent for the rest of their lives. Sarah. Thus exacerbating the Sarah, you have made the argument of the Irish mammy. Right? <laughs> <laughs> With all due respect. With all due respect, we have a peculiarly Irish outlook on the difference between housing and home ownership. And we conflate the two like they are the same thing. It is important and vital that everybody has the option to live somewhere. Okay, preferably somewhere they can afford and somewhere that suits their needs. What they do not have a right to do is buy a three bed semi with a front and back garden and have that. Right. As an, I, okay. I take that point. But okay. do you not accept, though, that the profile of pensioner changes radically between those people who've spent their working years saving by paying off their mortgage mm. and therefore A, they have a, an asset mm. which they mm. can potentially sell mm-hmm. or B, at the very least, they don't have a housing cost as they age versus a generation of people who are renting rather than saving mm. via a mortgage and then B, have no asset and need additional income to rent for the rest of their lives. I'm not convinced it's the state's job to protect assets of the elderly to be perfectly honest with you and we, we do have a dichotomy here because we've a lot of old people sitting on large assets and that's absolutely their right to do so not moving them along um, and and there is a kind of a jam in the supply there so for instance if you lived in Sweden for instance let's take that usually uh, kind of uh, utopian example uh, but, but they do have a, it's a kind of a cultural thing as much, this isn't about money and assets it's about really a cultural thing so we, we have a thing here where we need to protect all this stuff the family home the family land for the next generation okay not all countries see it that way if we were in Brussels or in Paris we wouldn't be having a conversation about home ownership in cities we'd mm. be talking about 
tightening the rental market. Okay, Uh, some text. Michael in Dublin 3 says, can you ask more why residential mortgages were sold off to vulture funds at huge discounts, uh, up to 60%, when these residential mortgages could have been offered to the citizens of the state living in these homes and given them the benefit of the irrational lending by allowing them a write down and way out of negative equity without any moral hazard. Uh, Jerry says, if the trillions of dollars, euros and pounds sterling were distributed evenly around, everyone would be a millionaire. So who was all the money? Um, Well, I'm pretty sure the Gallaghers have loads of money because they sold the hotels and national toll roads at a very good uh, point and they, they didn't invest it in anything terrible as far as I know so they have a lot and Joe in Westmead says Hi Sarah could you ask the panel about investing in gold as a hedge against recent and future uncertainty so Paul Somerville I'm going to come back to you on that and you see here was my initial problem that fine the state for all these conflicting reasons has uh, conspired to ensure that if I tried to save my money with the state in the post office or prize bonds or whatever I would get a miserable return yet if I decide to seek a higher yield somewhere else my heart begins to flutter at the thought of war in the South China Sea and Trump and Brexit and as soon as I go into the equity markets the whole thing will blow up won't it? Well just back to the gold situation I wrote an article about a couple of weeks ago on gold so maybe he wants to read that Um, I've never been a big fan of gold over the financial crisis and the reason being is because I always believed deflation was coming lots of people thought inflation was coming so they they advocated buying gold now I'd be much more uh, in favour of looking at something like gold but of course like all these things you know obviously don't put all your eggs in one basket and things but I do think because the inflation expectations are starting to come into the, the, the world at the moment just in the last six months that things like gold and other alternative investments might be something to look at but uh, your general point is that okay stock markets have been doing extremely well so last night for an example the Dow Jones the S&P the Nasdaq all the indexes in the US have hit all time highs they've never ever been higher so and you know the European uh, averages are doing pretty well and I missed out on all of this well, while I had my money in the post office well yeah. again it's but a, you, you didn't have heart flutters yeah. well that's true but again yes. this goes back to the uh, you need to go back to the start about why this is, is this a false market is it a real market why is this happening and again when you push the financial system with very free money all the way along assets prices rise and that's basically what happens so is the stock market overvalued I would suggest that the stock market is totally overvalued at the moment so you know I'm actually a stockbroker and I'd be saying Jesus it's a really dodgy time to be buying stocks be- because the, now, that back to the post office for well, me that doesn't mean that doesn't mean <laughs> they get, you know, the stock market can't go up for the next six months or whatever but generally if you're talking about pension money now you would expect very poor returns over the next 10 years in stock markets just because of the returns that are for if you're looking back at historical context. Now, the problem there is as Moore was saying earlier on, lots of pension funds, they invest in bonds. But the problem with bonds is, obviously the the investment returns are extremely poor at the moment. So there's very few places to go. And that's back to the property market. That's why you've got so many funds around the world trying to get into property. They're trying to look for anything with a yield. Anything with a yield. Paintings, cars, everything that's moving. You know, and don't forget China has a lot to do with this as well because so many people in China, there's a huge bubble in China they're getting their money out and they're trying to buy any assets around the world. So if you look at the, say, uh, Vancouver house prices, London house prices, whatever, it's exactly the same thing. Chinese, Chinese people trying to get their money out to buy real assets. So, here too. So it's happening here too, but not to the same extent. But basically, to answer your question, it's going to be a very tricky situation to try and get returns for your pension money and I believe that sort of a lot of the pension funds you know are going to really struggle to make the returns that they've promised. Okay so Moore um, so the government 
those of us who are not on defined benefit pensions, mm-hmm. um, they want us to invest money in pension funds and they do things like give us tax incentives. And I think some of the kind of funds like PRSAs and that, you know, they, they cap the fees and things like that. But it seems to me that it's a very narrow approach that they have this one class of product called a pension that they will incentivize you to use. But then other classes of products, they don't. So if you want to just take up a long-term savings account that maybe you want to have access to your money just in case you need it before you reach retirement age, those things are subject to income tax and all of that. What do you think the government can do uh, to encourage us to save for the long term? Well, you want to encourage people. Sorry. First of all, you should ask the question, why do you need to encourage people to save? I mean, we we put taxes on petrol because we want to discourage people. Well, of course, we want money for the government, but the environmental argument, we want to discourage people from using it by raising the price. So <clears throat> you want to increase the returns to savings. One answer is, well, if, in the, if, if you really believe it's important that people should save, then and they're not saving enough, whatever that means, then you say, OK, just as much as we tax the use of petrol because there are externalities associated with it. So we su- we would subsidise people to save. And there was, if you remember, Charlie McCreevy had the SSIAs. It was brilliant. Which it absolutely was. It was a steal. So can but, we have more of that? Yeah, but hang on. Steal from whom? Ourselves. I did very nicely, thank you very much. So yeah, But where did it come from in the end? The answer is taxes. So other people paid me. And I'm all in favour of that. <laughs> I'm absolutely in favour of that. So when we come to this question of savings, and you want to subsidise people to save, you have to think very carefully about it. You're asking the taxpayers as a whole to give money to people in order to encourage them to save, when if they have any he- heads on their shoulders, they should be thinking about saving anyway. I would prefer to look at this in terms of <clears throat> mis- misunderstandings about taxation and pensions and saving. They say, for example, that it's a tax expenditure to give people tax relief when they put money into a pension fund. Now, I think you've asked a very reasonable question. Why shouldn't I get uh, some kind of tax relief if I buy um, a Van Gogh or a Renoir? I can put that up in the attic and then when I hit 65, I can sell it. The answer is I don't get it. Why? Good question. But we do do it for for pensions. Part of the reason is because the government has its own interest in that because they know that some of the pension funds will be used to buy government bonds. But the other thing is that they're trying to get people to engage in what's called contractual savings. Now, those are people get into the savings habit and they really have to do it. Having said that, the, the truth about the so-called subsidy to saving is that it's merely deferred taxation. You can tax the money you get as your income yeah. now, then you put it into a pension fund and then it comes out the other end. But you might say, well, if, I've, if it's come out of taxed income now, why do I pay tax on it when it comes out as a pension? Or you could say, I'm going to give you, you can set it off against tax now, and then I'm going to tax it when it comes out. So it's only taxed the once. It's so that it's only taxed the once. Now, this, it's a bit crude, that example, because it ignores present values of things in the future and so on. But... The, the, for example, you get these arguments that it costs X billion euros a year uh, to give uh, relief to people who put their money in pensions. 
because we could have got more tax. But there's no guarantee you would because if people didn't do that, maybe they would have spent it, maybe they'd have put it under the mattress. You just don't know. But even leaving that aside, what the government is doing is deferring the tax from today to tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Because when the money comes out at the other end, it's going to be taxed. And, you know, when you look at it that way and you look at it as a commercial thing, Think of the life insurance companies. They take money in now because they're going to pay money out in the future. It's exactly the same transaction. And nobody looks at it that way. They simply look at the fact that money is going into the pension funds and people are getting income tax relief. But they don't understand the underlying structure. Sinead, what bugs me sometimes is that the solution to this public problem Um, is in the private sector, you know, as far as the governments are concerned. So there are all these fees and costs. So this public policy is that we make all these fund managers rich. Can governments around the world do more to regulate the industry and cap the fees so that at least we're not subsidising somebody's yacht while we're trying to do the right thing? Well, I'll start with the declaration, which is that I'm on the Pensions Council, which is the government advisory uh, body, which advises the government on exactly this kind of thing. So I'll get that out of the way first um, uh, to say that. Um, Look, pensions is a very fraught area and I I think it's not so much the private uh, pensions that are really the biggest elephant in the room here. And yes, the fees and charges are very high. You mentioned PRSAs earlier. So they, Maria, have a capped 5% commission charge. Um, but once you get into the fees and charges of the fund itself and the fund managers and the yeah. and the policy fees and all that, it's actually a lot higher. Uh, and it isn't transparent. And it's not transparent because it's deliberately been made very complicated. You get watches and watches of paper um, in one, taking out a simple pension for 50 quid a month will land you with 75 different um, pages in terms of the conditions and the terms and all that. Now the Central Bank are currently looking at all that transparency and they've instructed the, the insurers to go and, and, and sort that out and make it look a bit better. The truth is of course people don't read their benefit statements they don't read about pensions, they don't understand them, they think it's too complicated and they don't even know But it is to too ask. complicated. There, out, out of all the tax subsidisation that we have in this country it is by far and by a long mile the most heavily subsidised in favour of the wealthier because the tax relief is at your standard, at your marginal rate. So people who are 40% taxpayers get 40% tax relief. People who are 20% taxpayers only get 20% tax relief. So there's a whole thing which which was looked at over the last few years about whether to standardise that at 33% and give everybody a fair break. The truth is people... Enough people are not saving for their pensions, no matter what. This is the equivalent. This is way better than an SSIA pension funding. Way better. Uh, and yet people don't do it. And why? They all jumped on the bandwagon of the of the SIA. And here's my theory about that. It was, it was about access. So people can yeah. see in the short term, if I get my money back in five years, I have a goal. I can buy a new car. I can go on holiday. I can do something with it. If it's 35 years, that's too far away for me to think about and I'm too young to do it anyway. Yeah, right? and, and that feeds into that behavioural thing of, how it's we see things in exactly. the short term exactly. versus the long term. But the thing, can I just give you a very stark example in terms of pensions and where it's going? And this is why people have a, a basic distrust of pensions. Um, because for, for the reasons that, that Paul outlined earlier, they have to, by law, uh, in most cases with their trustees, invest uh, with the pension money itself in very, very secure, safe assets. OK, and the annuity is the normal method of doing that, which is you give me a lump of money now and I'll pay you an amount for the rest of your life. But it's guaranteed. So as an example, 12 years ago, 
if you put a hundred thousand euros into a pension fund and asked for money for life, they would pay you about ten thousand euros a year. Today, you would need to put three hundred and sixty-two thousand in that fund to get the same. Right some of your texts. Louise says, so what is the future in the rental model as opposed to the home owning model? Well, I was told I was an Irish mammy when I expressed concern about that. What about pensioners of the future? They have no lump sum going forward when they downsize. It's how the home owning model developed. Pat in Dublin says they won't be discussing vulture funds and massive rent increases in Brussels um, this morning. No, they won't. They might, might talk about the weather. Uh, Deirdre on Twitter says, great show this morning. Loving the hairdryer index analogy. Mike and Oren Moore. I lived it. Now, this is more. Pay attention to this now. You were given about the SSIA stealing from taxpayers. I lived in France for six years and saved 30000 in a national office subsidised saving scheme tax-free. They doubled or tripled what I put in. Accessible when I quit or get married or buy a house, etc. It's so easy. Now back in Stone Age Ireland, this is my mortgage deposit. And Paul in Galway says, what about investing in forestry as a pension fund? No tax on income and a yearly premium. And then a K is talking about LinkedIn finance and Sinead indeed was talking in the ad break about that. We don't have time to go into it now, but it is interesting if you want to look it up. Now, Paul, in the ad, I'm shrieking about Mary Robinson because I, she epitomises, for me personally, um, the two-tier system. We talk about the two-tier health system, right? But you've got the two-tier pension system where you have public servants, and I'm not knocking bus drivers or nurses, but particularly very high-ranking people who retire young and fit and healthy and they're all going to live till they're 100 with these fantastic pensions being paid out of our current taxes. Why can't there be some equity about that? That there's some kind of... <laughs> I mean, that's the biggest hospital pass in history. I mean, why can't we have... Try yeah, yeah. Speaking try of voting. Irish mammies, why, this is my... Why just love each other? My, my mother's proposal is... My mother's proposal is everybody gets, like a national income, the same pension. Equal yeah, pension. We do. It's called the... No, we don't. contributory state pension. No, that's what, that's what most of us get. People who do well in high-ranking public sector jobs. Work hard. If they had good jobs and a good life, then they should save for their own futures. They had the opportunity to do it rather than us paying. What you're what you're trying to (laughs) what you're trying to ask me, I think, is why is the Irish system so unfair to certain uh, people? And this is a very political question, which is there is vested interests all over this country who and they win out every single time. So. If you're not in one of those vested interests, what you should be saying as an Irish mammy to young people is whatever you do, don't go out by yourself. Don't go into the private sector. Make sure you go into the public sector or else emigrate because that is the only way. If if you're talking about pensions now, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't advocate that. But if you're talking about pensions, that is the way to go because obviously you're going to be much more secure in your old age. And that is probably the way to go. But unfortunately, I would like to see the bigger picture because we're all just talking about Ireland, which is I believe that basically how central banks have handled the whole financial crisis is the reason we're in this mess. So I would say the solution to all this is to grow real economies around the world for everybody to become richer. But unfortunately for me, I think they've really and utterly messed up the whole recovery. And again, we're talking about bigger vested interests, which is I believe that the bankers and the banking system has made so much money and reaping all the rewards of the recovery around the world now and I think it, you know it's con- completely unfair but when you're asking about the Irish situation obviously all politicians have been arguing about this in studios like this for many years. Uh, Moore McDoula on that larger global question is it a possibility that there is no more growth left? That it, we just have stagnation and there's a generation coming up who are just going to be thrown to the wolves because actually it's just over. 
Well, <clears throat> there are people who say that, you know, we've had 150 years of real growth because of huge technological changes that occurred in the 18th and 19th centuries. And that's now over. And hence, you have a Rust Belt in America. But there's even bigger technological changes which have been coming in roughly for the last 25 or 30 years, the so-called IT, te- the IT revolution. And that's having huge effects on productivity, growth and so on. But unfortunately, it means that if, you're, if you happen to be a steel worker, you're outside the loop. Um, but then if you happen to be a stagecoach driver 150 years ago, you're outside the loop. And if you happen to be, at the end of the 18th century, a cottage weaver, you're outside the loop. Do you think that, but things that change. This, this technology leap forward will have positive or negative effects for employment? In the short run, negative. That's always the case. There's displacement. Then in the long run, positive. If you sit back and think of the last 200 years and all the jobs that were lost in all the trades, all over the place, and then you ask, you talk them up, you get a huge number. But of course, they've been replaced by other jobs. And what you're seeing now is basically that instead of muscle power being necessary to get a job, it's what goes on between your ears that is necessary to get a job. And so you have the need for much more education and preparation for people to work in in a marketplace where what is valued is their ability to think, to, to be imaginative and so on. And all the evidence is that, in fact, you get growth as in the last 200 years. You get growth in the new areas. And one more question for you. Um, you know, people talk a lot about this uh, rosy retirement. Personally, mm-hmm. I always love the Gard Fitzgerald model. You know, just work till the end. Yeah, well, At this stage in your life, you know, what what advice would you give? Excuse me, but I get rid of me walking stick. Um, <laughs> what would I like? I like doing a bit of work. I don't, I don't like um, having nothing to do. But on the other hand, I do like having the option of having nothing to do. Um, but it's very pleasant to have a nice public sector pension. Let's face it, it's a, it's a good pension. And it's very nice to have other things done for me, like I don't pay a TV license. Um, I have Your free travel. My free travel. Uh, and nice. yeah, I, pay, I pay lower tax. Um, I mean, there's no question about it. Now, why do I get... Well, obviously, I'm, I deserve it. It's what, is it the clear all ad? Because I'm worth <laughs> it, darlings. Um, but <laughs> more cynically and realistically... Do you not remember when the last Fianna Fáil government attempted to do something about medical cards and it looked like the night of the living dead (laughs) as they all came up by free transport in Dublin? They all, I should say, people my age came up to protest about it. And it worked. On free transport. Sinead, I have to wrap up, but so I'm going to ask you just a straight question, the one I asked at the beginning of the programme. What should I do then with my savings? Do I stick them back in the prize bonds or will I ring up Davies or one of these companies? Sarah, you sound to me like you are a very cautious, sensible person and you want to take a belt and brace approach. So my advice would be to stick stick where it is, in the, not so much in the prize bonds, which return about 2.5% a year, but actually in terms of, of savings post office saving certs and bonds, three, five, six, eight, ten years. Because the returns, although low, are tax-free and they are higher than you'll get in deposits and they will discipline you to keep the money away from yourself. Right. Well, that's no it then. More it's blow back rise. to the post office <laughs> for me. I'll be down to Carol Langley in Edfield on Monday morning. So, look, that's it for today. Many thanks to the production team, Stephen Jordan and Aidan McKelvey, Marion Kennedy was in sound and thank you for listening.